Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the Gospel of John. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself but his disciples who baptized. He left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan, a woman of Samurai? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the, the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the, that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will reclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were, and were on their way to him. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe may be seated. Thank you. Let's pray together. God, as we um, approach your presence, as we approach your table, your community, your body, as we approach you this morning, as we do every day, I pray that we would see the deep invitation that you have given to each and every one of us to come, to taste, to see, and to have life. 
This invitation is in every moment of our breathing, of our life, is to receive and to see your presence in all things. The invitation never stops. But may we stop to receive it, to see you. And God, as we come closer to you, as we maybe even run from you, May we realize that you are running towards us. May we realize that you are closer than we could ever hope or imagine. And so God, I pray that through your word today, just like this Samaritan woman, that we would be known. we would be known every single part of who we are, even the parts we hide and mask from you and from this world. May you know everything. And in this naked knowing and revealing of ourselves, may we also realize that through your son we are loved, called the beloved. Loved more than we could ever hope or imagine. And may that be good news for us and for this world. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as I've always thought through these values that we hold as a church, it's always more helpful for me to kind of have a visual image of them. And so, like, is often talked about the church and has been talked about from the beginning of time, that, that this thing that we do as community, this thing that we do in following God is a journey. There's no other better way to describe it. It's not a moment in which you are in and now you are out. It is a journey that begins when we take our first breath and doesn't even end when we breathe out our last, but continues. And it's a journey in which we are not alone. And so when I think of church, when I think of community, when I think of my own spiritual journey, I, I, I think of being with a group of people at the, at the bottom of a trail and kind of looking and saying, okay, everyone, we're coming from all different places. We don't exactly know what we're going, but we are on a journey. And there is Christ who has gone before us in providing a new, a third way for us to walk. As we walk this journey, as we walk up this mountain, the, the whole journey will be covered in mystery. Each corner, we don't know what's around it. Each side, we don't know exactly where we're going. The GPS isn't working perfectly in this moment, but we have someone who is leading us. And it is our job simply to just wake up in the morning and to follow to follow and to love one another and to love the one who leads. Along the way in this journey, we will run across others, some who look like us and some who are totally different. And our job is to invite, to invite all to the journey just like we were invited when we started this road. Because this is not a journey that we take alone but it is one in which we take as community, as a body, as a group together. And so we invite all people into this journey, 
a radical invitation. At times we will rest, we'll sit around the fire, and it's at those moments that we enter into the intimacy, sharing our story with one another, showing our blisters, our wounds, our scars. It is in those intimate moments of sharing a meal that, that our teacher, our way, will even deeply reveal who he is. He will whisper into our ears exactly what we need to hear to wake up one more day. When I think about what we're doing together as a church, I think about it as a journey that has these different aspects together. And today the aspects that I wanna focus on is that of invitation and intimacy. Maybe you've experienced that invitation where it's like, okay, how do I invite as many people to the party as possible? And I know there's different personalities in this room, and for some of you are like, that's not something I think through. That's one thing that always goes through my, room, through my head, is like, how does the invitation just get bigger? How does the party get more massive? How do more people get in the room? And there's a beauty to invitation, and we see it, Jesus doing it radically in this passage. But one of the problems with just a life of invitation is that we can build a life that is just, a, as we've heard, a mile long and an inch deep. So maybe you've got thousands of friends on Facebook, whatever that even means, but what does it look like to actually have a depth to it? And so with invitation, this call to radically open the doors of the church, our life, our home, our story to others, we also have to hold this value of intimacy. Now for some of you, you're like, yeah, I'm the person that I like to have one friend and one friend only, and they're gonna know everything, and I'm gonna know everything about them, and we're gonna be friends forever. There is a beauty to that. Or maybe it's, instead of relationally, think of it informationally. Maybe you love to intimately know one thing, and when you know it, you know it. And you dive deep, 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 and the well goes deep. You know the Greek, you know the Hebrew, you know the Italian. Whatever language needs to be upon whatever you're studying, you know it. You know its depths. But sometimes our intimacy... Maybe those relationships where we're just two people kind of looking at each other. Sometimes those intimacies in our life, if it just becomes our focus, we lose our life that is called to look towards the other and to invite them in. And so what do we do? Introverted, extroverted, intimacy. And I don't know what we do, but except for Jesus calls us to hold both at the same time. And we see Jesus do it perfectly in this passage. What I love about this passage is it doesn't have that either or moment, but Jesus does two things at one time, and it's shocking to us now, and it's been shocking to the church since the day that it happened and his disciples stumbled upon it. Let's first look at Jesus' movement into invitation. Jesus is on his way. He's kind of doing this thing where he ducks and dives away from the like spiritual religious leaders. And he says, you know what? There, there's a simpler way to go, but we're gonna take the lower road. We're gonna take the road less, less traveled and we're gonna go through Samaria. 
And so Jesus takes this path that usually people of this day wouldn't take. And he goes through Samaria. And then I think Jesus, who I don't know what he was, but he got overwhelmed with his disciples. Probably he just gets annoyed with them. And he's like, hey guys, how about you like go to the grocery store and get some food for us? And Jesus is like, I know how to fast for 40 days, but I just need you guys to like get away from me. So he sends them away and it's just Jesus alone. And he stumbles upon this well and this woman walks up. There's so much we don't know about her. And so I want your imagination to extend. Because you've probably been told all these things about her, which are often assumptions. You probably have an image of how old she is. We don't know. What she looked like. Why she has five husbands. All of those are assumptions we are already making about this woman. And somehow Jesus knows, but doesn't enter into that judgmental mind like we so quickly want to do when we hear this passage. And so she walks up, meets at the well, and Jesus simply and purely and radically invites her into a conversation. I think sometimes when we think about invitation, we're thinking, how can we like, get involved in someone's life so that we can change it and transform them? How can we get into this world and just change this world? I have a good friend who's a pastor, and at the end of every email, it says changing the world in his name. And I think, gosh, that's got to be tiring sometimes. Good heart, but tiring. Jesus invites her into a conversation. That might be the first step of invitation we need to take into our world. Instead of changing everyone, what if we just begin a conversation with some people? But who does he begin a conversation with? There's a lot of reasons he shouldn't be going into this conversation. The first and foremost is that she is from Samaria. She's a Samaritan woman who Jesus just thinks are the heroes of his story. And I think he does it just because it makes everyone else so angry. The nation of Israel was divided into two nations back in 1 King 12. We kind of get the story of these, these two nations. Israel was composed of 10 tribes to the north. Judah, it was made up of Judah and Benjamin, these two tribes. And so there's a deep separation, a divide. Again, a world we love to divide and then be at war with one another. It's what we do with our values. It's what we do in our world. It's what we do with our wars. And so Jesus, he, we, there's these two tribes that are divided. And they hate each other. Judah, the southern tribe, are what is usually referred to as the Jews, or the southern tribes. The Israelites became immediately, there's this great division, and we see Samaria is the capital city for the northern kingdom. So this northern kingdom, so this war between the Jews and the Samarians is a long one. It's not a new kind of like, hey, we don't like the same thing. It goes all the way back to the beginning. We have this throughout our world. For those maybe in right now, we have Republican and the Democrat, the conservative and the tr traditional and the progressive, whatever it may be, we just want to divide people and put them at war together. But this one goes back further than anyone you've ever been a part of. It's worse than the ones that you can even imagine. And so Jesus sees this woman in which his own story says, this is the other, this is the one you're supposed to hate, this is the one you're not supposed to talk with, you're not supposed to interact with, and she sees him and she thinks the exact same thing. And he says, she says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, 
ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria. Jesus in, has an invitation into a life, into a conversation with her, and in just saying hello, Jesus is breaking all of the boundaries of what he should or should not do. Think of all of the levels Jesus is breaking every one. Gender, race, culture, religion, social, economic, insider, outsider, clean, unclean, righteous, sinner. All of the categories we put, Jesus says, yeah, I'm gonna rest all of those and enter into a conversation with her. I'm gonna enter into a life with her and her with me. My friends, as we follow this one, this Christ that leads us on the journey, we are called to be a people of radical invitation. You know what the church has often been known for in our history? Is our walls, our in, our out, all the ways in which we try to separate us from others. We are unwilling to cross the boundaries that Jesus crossed. Gender, race, culture, religion, social, economical, insider, outsider, clean, unclean, righteous, and sinner. We even, maybe we value those things, but then look at our life and say, am I really crossing the boundaries? Am I really inviting those into my life the way that Jesus did? But before you even take personally Taking, usually when we hear this passage, a lot of us sometimes will sit in the Jesus position and we'll be like, okay, am I acting like Jesus? Am I inviting other people? Before you go to Jesus's position, kind of big shoes to fill, the story is actually asking you to be in the position of the woman that shows up, that is on the outside, that is deemed unclean, that a man should not be talking to, that has a sketched past, That's who we are in the passage. And Jesus has come to us and in this world and has said, do you want some living water? Are you thirsty? Jesus spoke these words to you at one moment in some way. And you are here today. Whether you're in doubt or faith, you are here today because there is a thirst, there is a longing, there is something in you that is just longing to sit across someone who knows you and who loves you, who created you, and to be invited to drink a new living water. We may be able to consume everything we can in this world, but it just doesn't have a way of filling us up. I was hearing this week on on a study about when you get something new in life, that the effects on our brain and on our bodies of it being exciting and new in your life goes away almost simultaneously with the moment in which you open the box and you kind of take it out and you're like, yes! And then it's all kind of over. All the excitement came in wanting to get it, having it show up, and then you open it and it's kind of exciting and it just starts to go downhill from there until you can start again. What is it that we thirst for, that we hunger for? Why do we just keep consuming and consuming and consuming in this world? And Jesus sits with a deep invitation and says, no, this well, me, I am deeper and I am inviting you to this life. There's no box to open and consume. And so Jesus radically invites each of us to come, to know, to be known. 
And so she comes at noon at a time of hiding and shame and broken story. She comes as a Samaritan. She comes as a woman, which at this time would have been second class. And Jesus sees none of it. But Jesus enters into a radical invitation for her. And it asks us, are we going to be a community of radical invitation? My friends, are we going to be a community of radical invitation or are we just going to play the same old game of insider, outsider, clean, unclean, right, wrong, faith, doubt? I don't care what categories create. Jesus breaks down them all and invites us to do the same because that is what we have received. Lauren, my wife, was um, talking about a podcast that she was hearing this week um, of author and poet Kwame Alexander, who wrote these amazing um, books um, that, that, that about basketball, and some of them are about jazz music, and won the Newbery Award for it. And he gets invited, um, as a black man, to, to a table that has been mostly kind of white men. And they, at this table and at this place is a place of prestige, of writers who have all these, reward, all these awards. And And they were reviewing and trying to get, say, what kind of literature, what kind of stuff do we get out there? And he described sitting at this table, he described sitting in this position of power as like, I just want to make some room at the table for other voices. He says, I want to use my privilege, I want to use my position to just pull up a couple more chairs. To believe in the abundance of God, that there's enough for us all. Not trying to kick everyone off or just get all of these voices off, but let's just say there's a little bit more room at the table to hear some other voices, some other people who have maybe been silenced. Church, is there room at our table for other voices, for other cultures, for other people, for other perspectives? Is there room at your table in your home to hear and to listen, to enter in, to invite and to be invited? Can we pull up a few more chairs and believe in God's abundance and not that there is a world of scarcity and we just gotta make sure we protect our own. So it moves from this invitation, radical invitation that the disciples can't even put their minds around and they're offended at what Jesus does later in the passage. But the passage doesn't just end with just Jesus going around with a big universal hug, loving everyone. Jesus also intimately knows and moves us to a place and this woman to a place of deep intimacy and knowing. Now this is a challenge, the the invitation and the intimacy. It's a challenge in church in church world, like maybe you have a church that's like 30,000 people. There's a big invitation. That is a beautiful thing. Don't mock it. Because it's a good thing that there are churches that are radically inviting people into their doors. But sometimes if you go to that place, it can be hard to be known. You don't walk through the door and maybe everyone kind of knowing your name or some of them are greeting your kid. Even the acts of communion or things that we do become these kind of separate things in which we do as an individual. It's high invitation, low intimacy. But there's other places, maybe a smaller church here that all souls that is high on intimacy. We want to know you. We want to have dinner with you. We want to have beers and coffee with you. Just like like group hug, everyone. Great intimacy. But you want to know the challenge for a church like ours, like a community like ours, is often we just want to keep it safe. We don't want to invite other people into it. We just want to keep it for us and ourselves. 
There's not room in the group. There's not room in the pew. I like to have the pew all to myself. And so we see this challenge of invitation and intimacy. And so Jesus moves into this place of intimacy. And he takes a few, mo- he takes a few mo- movements that I think are important for us as we move into deeper intimacy in our relationships, a deeper, deeper intimacy in our relationship with God. And so I want to finish with a few of these. The first of this, this movement of intimacy is Jesus moves and in our own spiritual journey from the literal to the metaphorical. I know that seems kind of odd in some ways, but it's a movement into intimacy. The woman comes says, or he says, do you want some water? Or I want some water, can you get me some water? And she's like, water, you don't even have a bucket. They're talking just literal. In her mind, she's like, water? Yeah, it's right there. If you just put your bucket, you didn't even bring a bucket, you idiot, is what she's thinking. Literal. This is what we do when we begin faith, religion, and the journey. We think everything literal, and it's not a bad place to be. There are literal things that are important to know and to understand. But if we just stay on a literal level, we don't move into intimacy. Does that make sense? If we just read scripture on a literal level, completely on a literal level, and don't understand the depths of when Jesus says, no, I've come for living water. We go, wait a second. Are you speaking poetry? There's no living water. There's just water here. He moves her to a deeper level of understanding. You can read Shakespeare literally, but if you read it metaphorically, there's a deeper intimacy. It changes your heart at a deeper level. That's what Jesus is doing here with her. He moves from the external to the internal. The water that I will give, Jesus says, will become a spring of living water that is gushing up. So here's this external need where she has to travel far, we think, to get this water. She comes at noon, we think, to maybe hide from other people. And she comes to get this external need, this thirst, for literally to provide for others. But Jesus says, yes, that, that's a thing. But the more intimate thing is what is internally going inside your own heart. She begins to, he begins to talk about her relationships to talk about what does it mean to be a Samaritan, to talk about our worship. He moves the conversation from external things, how's the weather, to internal thing, how's your heart and soul. This is what happens as we move into intimate conversations. If you are looking for more intimacy in your life, change what you're talking about. If you're just talking about the external things, it's only gonna stay on the external things. Jesus moves internally and starts talking about a spring of water, this idea of this water gushing up from the inside of your own soul. He says, look within. I want to meet you at that place, at the depths of your own soul. Uh, Ancient um, Teresa of Avalon, St. Teresa of Avalon talked about four ways, prayer as four ways of getting water. She said the first way when we begin to pray is that we take the long journey to the river, we fill up our bucket, and then we walk back and we pour it onto our garden. This is one way of getting water. It's what we start with. It's really exhausting. There's a lot of words in it, and we just kind of fill the space. 
She says the second level of prayer that after we do that for a while is we maybe build like an aqueduct. We build a while way to get kind of water from the lake to our garden. It changes our relationship, our way in which we pray. And then she talks about the, the third way of prayer is we realize like there's a stream kind of running towards our land, towards our garden, that God is providing water. And so it's just right there. And if we connect that source of water to our garden and realize that God is doing all of the work, prayer begins to change. The last level, the most intimate prayer that she says that we can have to water the garden of our soul is to realize that God is sending a gentle rain. And we just surrender and we receive it. She describes this prayer as a union with God. And she says it's often wordless. You're not doing the work but you're just sitting in the rain and realizing that every moment of life is mercy, grace, and filled with gratitude. It's an intimate moment. It's a moving from the external to the internal. The other movement is it moves from the religion to the relationship. She's worried about who worships where and what faith is right and wrong and how does all work together. And Jesus says, you know what it is? It's It's about me. It's about coming and following and knowing God relationally and personally. Forever we have been dividing upon which religion is right. I can't even tell you how many denominations live within the United States. One of them has to have it exactly right, right? I don't know which one it is, but of the hundred thousands that are in our country, one had to have gotten every point right. When are we going to be done with it? When are we just going to get over all the religion and the dividing and the little tribes and families and realize this is about a relationship with the very presence of God that created us, knows us, sustains us, and will go on forever. She says, there's a Christ, there's this Christ coming or this Messiah. And Jesus is like, it's me. <laughs> it's shocking that it's, it's him, but it's more, I think, you're seeing it in the flesh. You're seeing God in relationship talking with you. It's an intimacy. It's an embodiment. It's God right here and right now, and it's something that's offered to us even today. It's a movement from religion and doing religion right to having an intimate relationship with God. And the last movement that Jesus goes through with her is she's got, she knows a lot. She knows the backstory about Jacob. She knows which mountain is supposed to, she knows that a Messiah is even supposed to come. She knows a lot, but what Jesus moves towards intimacy is he reveals not just a head knowing, but he reveals that I know you. I know you. Go get your husband. I don't think he says it in a shaming way. Go get your husband. I have no husband. You're right. There's five, isn't there? Do you want to go through the story of each one? Do you want to go through the load of what it's like to carry that in this culture and in this day and at this time? Do you see that I know you? My friends, Jesus knows you. God knows you. He knows every detail. The good, the things that feel ugly. There is nothing that can be hidden. Shame doesn't work in God's kingdom, and so we can't hide and cover, but we are fully known. 
every part from head to toe, every story that we may put masks on and hide, Jesus reveals you are known. It's not just about knowing God, but it's about realizing we are known by God. And in doing so, Jesus reveals who he is. It's not just a one-way street. But Jesus says, now I want, you've let me into your life intimately. I want to let you into mine. I'm this living water. I'm this Christ that has come to give you life. Other time that living water is kind of referenced in the Gospel of John and throughout the Gospels is when Jesus is on a cross and they stab his side and water comes pouring out. It's this idea of kind of water, living water pouring out. Because my friends, you may want intimacy, but one of the problems with it is it demands sacrifice. It demands that we be vulnerable and put ourselves out there sometimes. It demands that we will reveal part of who we are and we're not supposed to do it to everyone. There's a reason the disciples aren't here at this moment because the conversation would look different. It's the two of them. And so Christ is revealing. Christ is pouring out his life, his living water, and he will do, to, do so until the end for those in which he loves. And so are we going to be a community, a church that practices deep intimacy? Are we gonna share our story with others? Are we gonna listen to each other? Are we gonna move a little bit towards a vulnerability with one another? And are we gonna create safe places to open up? Because a lot of us may have wounds and it's just, it's tiring to think about being intimate again. But remember that this is something that has gone before us and has been done for us. That God has revealed, God has entered into this for us. And so when we receive the intimacy of Christ closer than we could ever hope or imagine, we are able to know that we are known and we are loved and can enter into intimate relationship with others. It circles back at the very end. The woman leaves and she says to all of the neighbors, to the whole frickin' town, come and see this Jesus. Her intimacy with Christ leads to an invitation to other people. I bet she, my guess is she didn't love going into the middle of the street and be like, that guy knows everything about me. You got to go check him out. No, we, we want the people who know to kind of sit in a confession box and be like, can you just take this and scapegoat that somewhere else? And she says, he knows everything. You need to come and see him. And so when we are intimately known by Christ, by God, when we are known and loved, we feel safe enough to go into others and to extend the invitation of this life that we have to all people. And so may we be a people on the journey who radically invite, who break the boundaries of what we should or should not do or those who should or should not be. And may we be a people of radical invitation. And may we be a church of deep intimacy with God and with one another.